0: This is the Classical Liberal Podcast. Um, My name is Danielle. I'm out to dinner here uh, in person with uh, Layla Bush. Hello, hello. And uh, David Wiley. Hello. And we're going to talk about the advocacy uh, that David has been doing out in actual Washington, D.C. Washington,
1: D.C. and here at home in Washington State, not to get the two confused.
0: (laughs) Because it's not confusing enough. Um, so let's maybe start, Where, did, when did you start getting involved in your advocacy in Ukraine? Um, or related to it, I suppose. Well,
1: you know, I ran for office twice as a libertarian, so that really got me started with advocacy on issues, right? Um, wasn't really involved with Ukraine. Um, I had been there a few times before the full-scale invasion. Um, and then the full-scale invasion happened. Um, and, you know, this is just immediately this is a major atrocity this is one government looking to annihilate another off the map Um, and this is basically the worst kind of war and so kind of right at that point i got involved with volunteering how could i help and i did some work um initially with some groups that kind of you know it petered out um
0: remind me david when did it actually start it's been over a year now
1: uh February 24th, 2022, after a whole bunch of back and forth of whether Russia would or would not invade with a quarter million troops that were stacked on Ukraine's border. Thank Um, you. Yeah. And the answer was yes, they were doing what it looked like. They were preparing to invade. Um,
2: You mean they weren't just there peacefully?
1: No. (laughs) I mean, and that's a thing that can happen. You move troops around, you have drills. Uh, but the evidence was bringing in the blood bank, setting up actual field hospitals right on the border that says, oh, you're getting ready for people to die. So for a few people who, you know, have any clues about wars, that was a pretty clear sign that something real was about to go down. Um, you know, even a lot of Ukrainians were very much caught unaware when it happened because Russia's, Russia always makes threats. Russia makes threats and threats and threats. And so a lot of Ukrainians said out, oh, this is just Russia making another empty threat. Um, but unfortunately it wasn't. Yeah. Um, so I was involved with some things initially that um, kind of fizzled out, and then you know it, it just wasn't enough for me. So I wanted to find uh, another way to get involved. Uh, I got involved with a local charity group here in Washington State, Ukraine Defense Support, And it was kind of, you know, what can you do? What have you done? Right. Everybody comes in. You've got a different skill set. And the thing is, well, I've been involved in state politics. Right. Um, One of the things I love about UTS, particularly someone coming from a libertarian standpoint, is that it's voluntary action. They want to help Ukraine support from a voluntary perspective. And they do as much as they can as civilians, basically, without breaking the laws of the U.S., other countries like Ukraine, so on. Um, There's a lot of limits there. We quickly run up into the limits and like, okay, this is all we can do, right? Um, And that's where it's really important to have someone who's involved politically, right? And, you know, so that's, that's where I start, basically. Can,
2: like, can you tell us some about the limits that you're encountering that the government isn't allowing certain things to be sent? Like what kinds of things? Oh,
1: there's all kinds. Of, so I mean, I'm, I'm sure yeah.
2: guns and things like yeah, that. Yeah, obviously but,
1: you can't send guns. Um, and I've had uh, people ask me, well, why can't Americans just send all their AR-15s to Ukraine? Well, we have what's called ITAR laws, International Treaty on Arms Regulations. Um, so you can't send guns, but not just guns, there's a whole bunch of things that are considered dual use that could be used in conflict that you also can't send in most cases without a whole bunch of checks and balances. And most of the time the answer is just no. Um, so like a lot of, uh, night vision, like if you're a hunter, you buy a night vision here, you can't send it. Right. Hmm. So you might have it, you might have it stuff in your equipment
0: like me as a as a regular person i have a friend who is currently in ukraine i cannot send that friend night vision
1: you can't send them the night vision goggles you already own that you use to go deer hunting love it (laughs) um you know there's things like drones that you can't send um you can't send like body armor you know in, in most cases sometimes you can um but you know there there's regulations restrictions you don't want to find yourself on the side of a felony. so, mm-hmm. um, And that's you know one of the places where I talk. Like, hey, we want to do this. What can be changed so that this can be done? And it's really, organization I'm with is like, we don't talk about taxes. That's a big fight. We don't really care where, as an organization where the money's coming from, though a lot of us do individually, <laughs> right? Um, we're just trying to get the help. So that's the me there talking to the government saying, look, you know, we have all these need for this kinds of drones. People who are there out on the ground say they need these drones. How do we get them there? So I talked to the representatives like, are you going to send them? Are you going to make it so that we can send them? How's this going to work? Because it's needed, right? Um, And you know, besides the weapons, that's kind of the big flashy part. There's still a lot that individuals can and do do soldiers need boots soldiers need socks soldiers need first aid kits which are all perfectly legal to send overseas so we send a lot of that um you know and that's great but and there's a lot of humanitarian relief that's being sent but that need for humanitarian relief is unending until basically ukraine wins the war and i say ukraine wins the war because if Russia wins the war, they're going to move on to their next target. Right. It it does it'll just end the war in Ukraine and it'll start somewhere else, most likely Moldova.
0: Who will need a yes. Aid there.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, this is kind of a, you know, Hitler taking over Austria, then, you know, a piece of Czechoslovakia, then all of Czechoslovakia, then Poland, um, and that's why, you know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, America gets involved in wars." Yes, and I have protested pretty much every single one of them and this war is different because in a, through all those wars that i have protested the usa was never trying to erase a country from a map and absorb it right mm-hmm. and that is the type of war that starts big wars and this is over one of the only countries in the world ukraine in at the end of nineteen ninety one, the dissolution of Soviet Union was the third largest nuclear power in the world. People don't realize that. They think that, oh, Ukraine's just this some um, backwater country like in Africa or something. Like no. Ukraine was a nuclear power that voluntarily disarmed itself. And if Ukraine doesn't win, it's the end of nuclear non proliferation. Right? It means that everybody rushes to get a nuclear weapon as the only deterrent that would stop maybe someone from invading. You know, which is for those of us who don't like war, who don't want to see nuclear Armageddon, that's the nightmare scenario. Well,
2: it's very interesting because it seems like something that we're all united in the Libertarian Party about is none of us want nuclear war. And it seems as if there's a lot of conflict around this issue of how to go about doing that. But it seems like, you know, we can all talk about this issue together because it's something that's very, Useful, and I have to say, one of the things that was most convincing to me in thinking about this was thinking, if Ukraine still had nukes, would this have happened? And we don't want the answer to that to be no. Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, the U.S. can't be the world police, and so that's where the voluntary action comes in. And I really appreciate that the group you're involved with seems really committed to trying to do that as much as possible.
1: Yeah, you know, and that is as much as possible, and you know, and fortunately, there's a limit. And so the U.S. government, you know, the quote I love to say is they either need to lead, they need to follow, or they need to get out of the way, right? There, there's no other choice. Um, the people who are fighting for their lives, who are, who are you know, on this, bandages and boots aren't going to be enough for them to save, aren't going to be enough to end this military aggression. They need, they need guns, they need drones, they need night vision, they need all this stuff, and it has to get there somehow.
0: Well, that is a really good segue then into what you've been doing in Washington D.C., right? Because you've been able to broker some deals. I don't. I don't. That's probably not
1: the
0: best word. Um, You know,
1: I I can't even necessarily say that. I can't claim that. But yes, I've definitely I've been in talks uh, with elected Republicans and Democrats, um, trying to work out a compromise. Um, And that's you know, as someone who was. A libertarian it's actually a really big strong point to go into Washington DC because I'm a neutral third party as soon as I walk in that door like okay never been a Republican I've never been a Democrat you know I didn't most people migrate into the libertarian party from one of those but I never did Uh, I went from independent to libertarian and I've run under libertarian banner as a candidate a couple times so they know that effectively I'm rather neutral and the you know political bickering there, um, so it leaves me in a position to say, hey, okay, let's. Where's the compromise? And I get to offer my compromise most of the time. So, what,
2: do, what does that feel like being able to go to these people and be? You know, one of the advantages of being libertarian is we learn how to speak different languages. We learn yeah. how to speak Republican and Democrat. And so, how does that feel to be able to have that um, that skill? I mean. I, I don't know. How, how would you advise other libertarians take advantage of that?
1: Do it exactly the same way. Be the broker, right? You know, if yeah. if you think about it, what's because I ran for a legislature, and a lot, a lot of people said, you know, oh, what's the difference that one libertarian is going to make? Well, it's not even so much about being— if, if you're one versus everyone else, you know, then, of course, you lose. But the point is being— wherever you can the tiebreaker the influencer the negotiator the one who's setting the terms right so to be the one there at the discussion table is a huge power and so that's how you know and i've been there i've been able to discuss okay you know we want to send stuff to ukraine we've got these huge military stockpiles can we can we burn some of that down and send it right can we unload you know this surplus and which has been hugely effective so one of the number one and people don't realize this like um military budget while it's not the biggest is, is pretty huge and the number one part of the military budget is maintenance over half of all military spending is on maintenance
0: wouldn't surprise me yeah uh,
1: can look it up it's public numbers and then when you have on top of over 400 billion dollars being spent annually just on equipment maintenance and then you have stuff like Stinger missiles which sat there for 40 years. They weren't used in Afghanistan. They weren't used in Iraq They haven't been in production You just have maintenance people going over there and keeping them up every year Just
0: making sure they didn't blow up or corrode. Yeah, exactly
1: And And they've all been shipped off to Ukraine, right? So that that's assistance and now and people say oh We wrote off we we gave this money. We, We aren't sending pallets of cash They wrote off the value of these missiles, that was the so-called expense, and in the future there's no longer any maintenance budget assigned to it. So that military spending goes down.
2: So let's imagine a scenario where those remained in storage. What do you think would've likely happened to them?
1: They would've stayed there for another 20 years or whatever until money being spent on them every year to keep them in a usable condition until we spent money to decommission them Right, which is a huge expense to safely disarm all these missiles, and throw them in the dump.
2: <laughs> or America might declare a war on someone else. So, or we mail them to China for their dumps. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well that that that's good to know. I mean, it's it's such a tough thing as a libertarian because I very much oppose having our tax money go to this. Nope. I really have mixed feelings even about giving these supplies, but at the same time, yeah. you know. If, that, if they don't refill those bunkers where they had the missiles with new missiles, then I'm a happy camper. Like, that it means that we are less able as a country to start the next war.
1: Well, yeah, and there's, action. you know, there's no guarantee that that doesn't happen, right? The libertarians aren't in control, so there's nothing being said there. But it is diminished right now, did a little bit right now, and it's going to save lives from, you know, a military aggression. And... Other stuff is being offloaded, so there's been a lot of talk in the news about Ukraine using HIMARS. So there were 400 surplus units in storage in California.
0: I'm sorry, what's a HIMAR? Uh, what is it? Hi. Is it a type of missile?
1: Or yeah, basically, okay. it's an ar- artillery missile. Got it. Uh, m- highly mobile artillery rocket system.
0: Kind of like what we saw in Iron Man. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank
1: you. It shoots missiles a really long ways to hit things you can't see. Um, so Ukraine's been using them to you know, do a lot of damage to Russia. And all we've sent them is 38 units out of our surplus storage lockers, um, which is on itself is riding off a lot of money. But because this system performed so well, all the remaining units from surplus storage got sold to European countries. So not only are we not paying taxes on them next year, the government got some real cash. (laughs)
0: That's nice. Yeah. And we know that other European countries then are now a little bit better armed against Russian aggression.
1: Yes. And, you know, someone like me, I'm not a big fan of the U.S. being in NATO. Uh, A lot of people might assume otherwise. Now, I don't think that right now is the time where the U.S. should leave. Mm -hmm. But I think long-term... Europe should be up to its own defense, and I really like this move as weaning Europe in that direction. Like, hey, stand up for yourself, don't depend on us. The U.S. needs to have an exit plan for Europe.
2: Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. It's it's interesting, like just as a thought experiment, to think what if instead of NATO we had an alliance of Eastern European countries that were all allied together, all of the ones that are on Russia's border. Border that would have. Definitely changed the dynamic of uh, the decision far more than NATO would have. So uh, I mean, NATO clearly didn't because Ukraine isn't a part of NATO. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I, I'm on board with that. I, I definitely yeah. think that's a good way of seeing
1: it. You look at all the countries that Russia is invading, whether it's Georgia, Ukraine, Moldova, none of them were part of a defensive alliance, right? So that is why it happened. It's it's imperialism. It's one. Big nation saying, oh, look, you're small, and you got nobody to protect you. So we're just going to we'll take a piece out of Georgia see what happens. We'll take a piece out of Moldova. We'll take a piece out of Ukraine. Now we'll take the rest. And, you know, for Georgia and Moldova, seeing that Russia is trying to swallow all of Ukraine, they know that they would be next. Now, can we
0: just back up just a little bit? So you've run for office. Yep. Did you rely on connections that you already had to get into people's offices in Washington, D.C. to to chat with them? So how Um, did that look?
1: Not in terms of like libertarian connections. So there's a whole bunch of uh, Ukrainian organizations, uh, United for Ukraine, that have kind of come together. Um, They don't actually at this point have any political representation in D.C. There's nothing like APAC for them or whatever. So they're not engaged in lobbying, which is Is the word they're engaged in advocacy, which is sending people to talk to their representatives about something that they know about, right? Um, Because while a few people in D.C. are very well educated in the issue, you know, getting intelligence reports and so on, most representatives are not. They're not even, and you know, there's a lot of bills in Washington D.C., so they don't even necessarily know what they are and what's there. So we go there, we talk to them, like, hey, there's this bill, it's really important, would you have a look at it, maybe consider being a co-sponsor, um, right, and let's, let's move this along. And there's some really big uh, zero-cost bills to the U.S. that would do a lot for Ukraine. Um, one right now that I've, you know, been pushing for in order to fund Ukraine is called the Repo Act, which the U.S.A. froze... Russian assets, right? Okay, you're involved in this war of aggression. We're not going to be a financial instrument for you to support it. So they froze uh, money that Russia had. um, And Russia had about $300 billion, right?
0: Like here in the U.S.?
1: Here in the U.S., right? Um, Russia's economy not being particularly strong, they haven't invested a lot in themselves. They've put a lot of money in other countries. Canada, U.S., Europe, and most of those countries have all frozen that money so it can't be used Mm -hmm. a repo act would take that money and as the victim of the war and send it to Ukraine which would eliminate so much of the need for us to help them financially right okay you got your own money Mm -hmm. it came from you know it's restoring the victim basically
2: reparations yeah
1: Um, you know and that can be you know when there's a peace deal that can be taken into account but it would do that and it would be zero cost to american taxpayers right so you know that's there's things like that that i advocate for
0: now technically we'd be losing out on the tax revenue right on like the interest of the money that they have invested
1: if it exists maybe but sure. you know that's <laughs> we don't possible. have right. we don't have a legitimate claim to that to that money it is not you know the US simply doesn't have a It's not just in like a it. bank
0: of account, certificate of deposit making interest. Uh,
1: you know, it's going to be in a bunch of different places sure most enough. likely.
0: <laughs> so, what
2: would you say to someone who is interested in lobbying at the local or state or, level or <laughs> advocacy or yeah, any advocacy. kind of advocacy? Okay, I uh,
1: Important legal okay. difference there. Okay, okay. Um, well, I
2: guess you have to register if you're a lobbyist, right? Yes,
1: correct. Okay. Uh if you're a lobbyist, you're representing a group, you're getting into more financial stuff, so on. Uh, advocate is just someone who says, hey, you know, I care about this, you know, look at this bill, support this, yay, you know, that type of thing. Uh, no money changing hands. Um, if you're interested in being an advocate, you know, find some groups and be talking to your representative positively, <laughs> right? Uh, most of the time when people are calling up their representative it's to complain about something right and so they don't actually get a lot of people saying this is what you should do they get a lot of people saying oh you shouldn't have done that okay well a lot of good that did it's already done (laughs) have
2: you had any difficulty getting meetings with representatives or anything like that like if you just call them up and say hey i'm representing this group you know i'm advocating for this issue can i come talk to you
1: you know, it depends. Um, you know, there's a lot of differences um, in, in who you're talking to because some of them may not be supporters of the issue, uh, no matter what their public face. Some people publicly support an issue and then privately oppose it, you know, on both sides. Um, but yeah, some people are eager to talk to them, uh, particularly when you offer, say, a unique perspective that they haven't really been able to hear. Um, So for instance, one of the things that I like to do when I'm talking to representatives, I bring in people, Americans, who've gone and volunteered uh, to fight in Ukraine, who volunteered there and come back. Because particularly some of these people, they may have access to classified briefings and so on. That's a top general level. and The perspective of a general in the command room is very different from the perspective of a soldier on the front line. Mm -hmm. So I I bring in, you know, these volunteers and get them to tell their stories you know you know like you know the difficulties of having to fight at night without night vision Mm -hmm. where they have a night vision unit that they use for hunting at home that they couldn't bring to Ukraine because of American laws
0: (laughs) oh yeah I'm sure my friend had night vision here in the states I wonder
1: yeah so you know there's lots of things like that you know like oh I got this equipment and I, I just couldn't bring it you know um so there's a lot of different stories you know the the general might want tanks but the soldier in the trench may just be wanting a new clean pair of boots so he doesn't get you know trench foot (laughs) you know so there's there's different perspectives Um, some people aren't interested in the military side at all i've actually i've had representatives that want to talk to refugees and immigrants Um, so because they have a different perspective what can we do to help People like I, I don't want to support the war. I want to know what I can do to, to help people, bring them here. On the flip side, and help them when they are here.
0: Have you uh, worked with the like the Lutheran Refugee Agency in the area?
1: No, I have not. Okay, I'm, not, I'm uh, on ever. their
0: mailing list. I know they're doing a lot with the <laughs> the Ukrainian refugees. There
1: are with. a lot of humanitarian groups out there doing great work. Okay. Um, yeah, again, that, that just hasn't been my focus. Um, you know, I have. Kind of a quality assurance background, so I really want to address the root cause. Mm-hmm. And that's my thing. It's like, okay, and the root cause is Russia's invasion of an of another country.
2: Well, it's interesting because it seems like there's something all libertarians can unite around. Because whether you are supporting some aspect of the war effort, trying to get you know night vision goggles or body armor, or whether you're concerned about the refugees and the people who are going hungry because of war. You know, it, it seems to me like if we all work together, we'd get all aspects of it covered. It's uh, it's very interesting. So, I mean, what would you recommend yeah. if a libertarian is interested in trying to help out? Like, what's the first steps if someone wants to do something uh, for, for to help in Ukraine or in that conflict
1: broadly? Decide what it is you want to do, right? Um, because a lot of people do have specific interests, Um for whatever reasons i'm not going to judge you may not want to give military aid at all um it's like say someone's a total pacifist right um and so give humanitarian work there's a lot of groups out there doing it uh, maybe you don't want to send any money or goods over whatever then help here there's over there's about half a million ukrainians that have come to the u.s as refugees effectively since the start of the full-scale invasion um
0: and a lot of these agencies are just a google search away right you just search wherever your city is yep refugee ukrainian refugee assistance or whatever and you find something
1: i'm willing to bet there's probably a church in your city that's doing some kind of drive or something or um you know go there's there's all kinds of groups um so in like my former city of everett there's uh there's different groups like Volunteers of America mm. is working with the Ukrainian refugees here in the USA so you can go down there one day a week and you can help out refugees you know and w- you know they get people there who their home has just been leveled by Russia the war's still going on so those artillery shells are still leveling cities um, people are still being forced to leave and they arrive here with commonly next to nothing right most people, when they have to leave because of the war, they end up leaving in a hurry and leaving almost everything behind. Um, and they end up in another country with no possessions where they don't, may not know the language very well or anything. So, yeah, they need a lot of help getting adjusted to the USA.
0: And then, in order to get in contact with the representatives, did you specifically find people that were like empathetic to the issue, or did you contact nope. just your local reps? Your I
1: contacted state? every elected uh, US representative and senator in Washington state. And I had meetings, uh, me and the groups that I'm working with have had meetings with pretty much every office. So they ha- there's been different levels of receptiveness. Uh, But, yes, every office has been involved in the discussion. So
2: it sounds like there's a lot of different options for people who are interested, no matter what their interest is, to to be engaged and actually take action in something that would be helping and supporting someone who's vulnerable or advocating for some kind of political change.
1: Absolutely. There is an abundance of voluntary solutions to this right now. Um, And really, you know, that's where I think we need to really be focusing there's for me you know i'm really kind of sick of a lot of the public discourse that goes on that's all kind of negative we shouldn't do this we shouldn't do this well what should we do what are you doing right we're looking at one of the worst catastrophes since world war ii going on in in our lifetime right for some of us you know the words never again have a really big meaning um you know not to let you know genocide and types of mass war crimes happen again which are happening right now and you know something needs to be done because it's it's really a foolish belief that you know if we just do nothing then it'll stop on its own that's sorry it's anyone who's studied history that's not how it works you know read some Frederick Douglass you know read some others you'll learn that you know tyrants are only stopped by people forcing them to stop Um, so something has to happen and I understand, you know, there are very good reasons that the USA should not get involved. I have spoken out frequently that the U.S. military should not get directly involved with Russia, short of nuclear confrontation, right? Um, because that's it. That's that's our stopgap. That's the one thing where we say, Russia, you know, you won't use nukes because then there's no reason for us to hold back. If we get involved, then there's the incentive for them to go that route. Um, so... Yeah, the USA should not be involved directly in any fighting.
0: I mean, been a couple of times. don't know. I guess um, I feel like we hit a pretty good natural end of like, yeah. your, our call to action. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to add on, or Leland, any final questions for you? Um,
1: I guess I would warn people that there is an abundance of misinformation out there about Ukraine. Um, As someone who's been to the country several times, um, so much stuff that I hear about it is just completely disconnected from reality. Completely, completely. Um, Republicans, Democrats, and Libertarians, too. Um, There's propaganda flying around from all sides. Um, So... And sometimes people say, oh, well, you know, I don't believe anything, so I choose to do nothing. Um, Some things you can understand are very real. So at the beginning of this war, people were sending their cell phone videos and uploading them to Twitter and TikTok and other places. That is very real. Filter out the corporate media that wants to lie to you and listen to human voices and take human action.
2: It seems like if you're concerned about corruption or if you're concerned about, you know, what the cause of the war is, you can still help refugees. There's nothing yeah, that would keep you from stop helping
0: those refugees because they're they're just victims of this. Yeah, and absolutely. so there's 100%. something for everyone, really. Yeah. Well, um, where can people find you if they want to reach out, either to ask you questions or get advice on how to be a better advocate? Um, yeah. What kind of show? Don't are you reach like? out
1: to me. Get involved locally.
0: Love it. Love it.
1: Take local action. What's
0: your What's your favorite dinosaur?
1: Um, oh, wow. <laughs> I yeah, was not prepared fo- for that question. a
0: 10-year-old there.
1: Yeah. I gotta, okay, bring out my my inner 10-year-old. Uh, you know, I believe they haven't erased uh, Stegosaurus from the uh, books yet. It's pretty solid. <laughs> yeah.
0: They've got some good armor.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, kind of the dinosaur porcupine there.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, All nice right. peaceful like
1: herbivore swinging that spiky tail Love it. <laughs> don't tread on me
0: well that's a great place to end thank you david and thank yep. you layla yeah uh, thank
2: you it's been real great. <laughs>